If you have a Bible, please take it and turn to the book of Psalms. And Psalm chapter 10. If you're not sure where the book of Psalms is, just open your Bible probably right to the middle. And you're going to look for Psalm 10. There's 150 of them. So you've got a pretty good chance of hitting the book of Psalms. And we're going to be in Psalm 10 this morning. We're continuing to think about prayer. We thought about prayer the two previous weeks. We'll think about prayer as it relates to the sanctity of human life this Sunday. And then next Sunday we're going to think about prayer and evangelism and the furtherance of the gospel. Um, Then on February 1st, um, Matt is going to preach for us. I will be out of town. My family and I are heading to my sister's wedding. And so Matt's going to preach. Um, we're looking forward to that, so you can be praying for him. And then we'll pick back up in Luke after that. So, just so you know where we're heading. But this morning, the text before us is Psalm 10. Uh, this is now the third year that we as a church have focused our time in God's Word on sanctity of human life Sunday and the issue of abortion in our world. Uh, the reason, if you don't know why this Sunday is recognized as the Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, has to do with the Supreme Court case Roe v. Wade, which was decided on January 22, 1973. Um, so over 40 years ago now, that was a decision that paved the way for uh, abortions to become much more accessible, uh, more private, um, and more widespread in our society. And the reason we as a church want to recognize this Sunday is because the, the, the horror of abortion is an affront to the image of God in humanity, and it's a reality that we often forget. Um, you know, we set up memorials to remember things that have passed um, that, that we don't want to forget. And so there's a memorial, for, for instance, set up um, to commemorate September 11th and what happened there so that we would not forget. Some of us think, how could we ever forget that? And yet we do. And the same is true, I think, for the issue of abortion in our world. We just go through life and we forget that it exists. And so this day serves as a memorial, but not to something that's in the past, but to something that continues to exist in the present. I pray that one day it is a memorial to something that exists in the past, but for now it's something that is present. And we forget that. We forget that as a nation, we have the highest abortion rate of any Western industrialized nation. That as a nation, we murder an average of 1.2 million preborn babies every year. Over 50 million since 1973. Four in ten of the so called unwanted pregnancies in the United States will end in abortion. Four out of ten, so 40%. We forget that we have allowed personal choice to be exalted above the life of a human being. And so we need to pause. We have to remember this. We cannot forget it. So having said all of that, having given statistics, I want to be clear about about two things before we start. And I try to be clear about these every time that we talk about this. The first one is that having an abortion, encouraging an abortion, desiring an abortion is not the unforgivable sin. It is not something that God ultimately will condemn people for, and it is uh, not the ultimate evil. And so when I say a number like 1.2 million, I think it's good for us to take a step back and pause and think about 1.2 million mothers and 1.2 million fathers and millions and millions of other people connected to these situations that have probably, probably many of them are in life situa- situations that we can't even imagine that have felt pressures that we have never felt in their life. I don't think that those life circumstances or pressures excuse 
that choice, but rather I, I think that what they should do is fill us with some compassion. And so I want to speak the truth, but I want to do it in love. Because there may be even some in this room who have had some part in an abortion at some point in their life. There are certainly people in our neighborhood that we're trying to reach, that that is a reality for them. It's something that they have experienced. And so I want to say that the point of this day is not to to point a finger at people in in, in anger for the decision that they have made. Yes, it is horrific, but, but that is not the goal of today. I want to be clear on that as a pastor. I don't want to reopen wounds that are unnecessary. And I want to say that there is forgiveness in Jesus for all sins. Jesus is the one who brings life out of death. He brings life into all these circumstances. Jesus says he did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. And all who come to him in repentance and faith can know forgiveness of all sins, past, present, and future. So the point of today is to remind us that this happens every day in our city, in our nation, and around the world. The second thing I want to say is that this is not a political issue. I think it often gets lumped into that, and and as churches, sometimes we're, we're hesitant to talk about an issue like this, but this is not a political issue. By talking about the sanctity of human life, by mentioning Roe versus Wade, I'm not aligning our church, I'm not aligning myself with any particular political party or politician. That is not the point of this, because this is not a political issue. Politics has something to do with it. Government has something to do with it. But ultimately, this issue is not political. It's a creation issue. It's a salvation issue. It's a glory of God issue. It has nothing ultimately to do with politics. So as we think on this, we're going to, each year we'll probably think about it from different angles because it is such a broad topic. And and this year I want to think about the sanctity of human life, the reality of abortion in our world, and, and I want to think about it from the angle of prayer. How do we pray to this end? I'm not going to argue this morning about why abortion is wrong. That's not, that's not really the topic this morning. If that's something you have questions about, that's something I'm assuming. But if that's something you want to talk more about, I would be happy to sit down over a cup of coffee and walk through Scripture and help us understand what, what the Bible says about life, about the image of God and human beings, and why we as a church say that abortion is wrong. So if that's something you want to talk about, I'm more than happy to talk to you. But we're not going to address that this morning. I'm going to assume that. Rather, I want us to think about prayers. That's what we've been thinking about, and, and ask, how do we pray? When we ask that question about any issue in our world, the, the best place to find answers is in God's Word, and specifically in the Psalms. We've been given 150 psalms that express the depth of a human emotion, that that address various circumstances. And not just the psalms, but we have prayers throughout the Old Testament. Into the New Testament, we have prayers of Jesus. We have prayers of the Apostle Paul. We have all these aids to help us to know how to pray. And while there's not a specific psalm on the issue of abortion, I think Psalm 10 can help us this morning. I started and I thought, well, what if we just went through the whole psalm, all of the psalms, and sort of tried to pick out some ideas that are there. But I got to Psalm 10 and said, let's just camp out here and use this as a model. It's not going to hit every issue, but hopefully it will serve to to be one aid to help us to pray about this issue and other issues in our world. But also just an encouragement to you, go to the psalms when you don't know how to pray. Go to the Psalms and start reading through, and and somewhere in there you will find the emotions that you're feeling and the God-honoring response and how to pray to God in the midst of those things. 
So we're going to read Psalm 10 this morning. Um, as we read it, we're going to think about it in, in four parts. Um, so the first part is just the, the first verse, this opening question. The opening question is there in verse 1. Verses 2 through 11, are, we're going to talk about um, a description of the heart and the actions of the wicked. Verses 12 through 15, we're going to, we're going to see uh, a prayer for justice, a prayer for the helpless and for justice for them. And then in verses 16 through 18, a, a prayer of, of faith, a prayer, of, a prayer of, of trust in God. So that's where we're heading. Let's read Psalm 10. It says, Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Let them be caught in the schemes that they have devised. For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. He sits in ambush in the villages. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush like a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws them into his net. The helpless are crushed, sink down, and fall by his might. He says in his heart, God has forgotten he has hidden his face. He will never see it. Arise, O Lord. O God, lift up your hand. Forget not the afflicted. Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account? But you do see, for you note mischief and vexation, that you may take it into your hands. To the helpless, to you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. Break the arm of the wicked and evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. We see verse 1 that the psalmist asks a very honest question. And it's a question I think we should be okay with asking. Why, O Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? It's a question that we want to ask, and it's a question that God is big enough for us to ask of Him. I don't think it's a question that accuses God of wrongdoing or says that He is not there, but it's a, it's a question of a heart that doesn't understand. Just God, how can wickedness like this go on? Any kind of wickedness, and specifically this morning as we think about this issue of abortion, how can you allow this to, to go on? Why, God, don't you do something? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? It can feel that way, can't it? And I think God wants us to admit when we, when we struggle with that. I think we need to, to go here and to, to, to trust God, to, to, to be able to pour out our hearts to Him in the midst of confusion. We can trust God and be confused at the same time. 
I want to affirm that, right? I can trust God and I can have no idea what in the world He's doing. We can have faith and we can still wonder where God is. I can believe that God exists and still look at the world and say, I don't know where you are. And I think sometimes we need to get to that place, even with this issue, is to see the evil of it and then to say, God, what are you doing? I don't see your hand anywhere. So that begins with just this sort of honest question that I think we can get to, and that's, that's, that's where we often begin. Then there's this description of, of the wicked in verses 2 through 11. That word wicked, it's not one we use very often. <laughs> it may sound harsh for me to say that people are wicked, but, but all sin is, is evil, right? All sin is wickedness. We can call it that. that. That's what it is. All rebellion against God, even in our own hearts, is, is wickedness. So, again, the point here is not that we're pointing our finger at others in self-righteousness, but rather that we're, we're seeking to shine light on the evil in our society that has become accepted and even celebrated. And we're saying this thing that's accepted, that is celebrated, is wicked. That's what it is. And the people that go about it are acting in wickedness. Abortion is not a cause for celebration. The, the right to choose the death of a human being is not an advance in society, okay? Let's be clear on that. that. That is not an advance in our society to say that we can choose to kill people. It's rebellion against God. It denies God's sovereign control over all things. And so notice first in this psalm the heart of the wicked. So this is a description of the wicked. Let's see the heart of the wicked. And I think the heart is clearly expressed in the three quotations that come out of this, the, the wicked heart. It's in verse 4, there is no God. It's in verse 6, I shall not be moved. Throughout all generations, I shall not meet adversity. And in verse 11, God has forgotten. He has hidden his face. He will never see it. So the wicked first say in their heart, there is no God. That's what the wicked say. There's, there's, no, there's no God. When we or anyone else sins, we act as if God exists. We said last week that, that to not pray, when we don't pray, we are practical atheists. And when we sin, we are doing the same thing. We are living without regard or reference to God in this world. We just act as if He does not exist. There is no God. Now we do that, but we know there's a God. It's sort of a temporary denial. But those who celebrate their denial of God's existence, they, they open up the door for greater rebellion and for greater sin. So if, if in wickedness we say there is no God, we open the door for so much other sin. And I, and I would say that the rise of atheism in our world is certainly a cause of the rise of abortion, or at least the acceptance of abortion in our world. Because when we deny the existence of God, when you say there is no God, it leads into the second thing. The second thing that people who, the heart of the wicked, they say this, I will not be judged because God does not see. I will not be judged because God does not see. When, when people believe in God, if we believe in God, we have some sort of idea of, of coming judgment. We live with some sort of fear of God. Even if it's small, even if you just have a general idea of who God is, there is some sort of fear of God. We don't know what the future is going to be like. But the thought that we're going to be held responsible for our actions makes us sort of pause for a minute. It's like when you go into some sort of business and it says there's, you see security cameras up. Or there's signs posted that say you are being recorded. You're not going to steal things if you know that that's happening because someone is watching. 
But the wicked deny this reality in the world. They deny that there is a God who is watching. Hebrews 4.13 says, No creature is hidden from his sight, from God's sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. The wicked deny that reality. That's not true. They do not believe Proverbs 15.3. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere, keeping watch on the wicked and the good. They do not believe that there is a day coming when they will be judged for their actions. They do not believe that God sees or cares about what is going on in the world. And what we believe or do not believe about God determines how we act. The most important thing about a person, A.W. Tozer says, is what comes into his mind when they think about God. That's the most important thing about us. What, what comes into your mind when you think about God? And if when you think about God, you think He doesn't exist, He doesn't judge, and He doesn't see then you're going to act in a certain way. And that's the next thing we see. That's how the the wicked act, the acts of the wicked. Right at the beginning there, it says they act in greed and pride. Verse 3, For the wicked boasts of the desires of his soul, and the one greedy for gain curses and renounces the Lord. Greed. This desire for certain things. I think it's at the source of so much evil in the world, and it is at the source of of why abortion exists in our world. There, there are those who are greedy, and they're greedy, they're greedy for sex, and they don't take into account that God has given a design for things. They don't take into account that God has a purpose, and part of that purpose is procreation. They want something, but they don't want the natural result of it, and so that causes so many issues. So I want this, but I don't want God's what God naturally brings out of that, and that that greed leads into situations where abortion becomes an option. There are those that are greedy for the life as they have it, and it's a life that's free from children. And this is what I want, and I want this so bad that in order to keep it, I will kill the life of this child. Because this is what I want, and I cannot give up what I desire. There are doctors, there are medical staff who don't want to lose their job. And so they will go along with things because I need to make money. I need to earn a living. So they deny the reality that God exists and there's a judgment. Greed can be the source of so many things. What deception that Satan has caused in our world to allow greed to bring us to the place of killing children. We must pray. We, we need to pray as we think about how we can pray that, that God would free people from greed. That God would free people to be satisfied in Christ alone and in walking in truth. Because just belief in God, we're going to pray that people would believe in God, but that's not enough, is it? They need to believe in God through Jesus Christ and understand who Christ is and the satisfaction that He gives. The, the psalm also speaks of, of the acts of the wicked in that they target the helpless and the poor and the innocent. You notice verse 2, in arrogance the wicked hotly pursue the poor. Verse 8, he sits in ambush in the villages, in hiding places he murders the innocent and the helpless later. Verse 9 talks about the poor. Verse 10 talks about the helpless. Aren't those perfect descriptions of an unborn child? Someone who is poor, who is innocent, who is totally helpless? Look at verses 8 through 10 again. Let me read these verses. He, the wicked, sits in ambush in the villages in hiding places. In hiding places, he murders the innocent. His eyes stealthily watch for the helpless. He lurks in ambush for a lion in his thicket. He lurks that he may seize the poor. He seizes the poor when he draws him into his net. The helpless 
are crushed, sink down, and fall by His might. Wickedness would cause people to do this, to, to, to kill the most innocent, helpless, and poor in our world. But I, I don't, it's not just the unborn that are crushed by the wicked. It's those that actually are economically poor. Those that are outcasts. Those that are helpless in our society. And the, the issue of abortion and the, that, that affects that segment of the population much more heavily than it does those that have finances. Because the number one factor that women cite as to why they would have an abortion with an unwanted pregnancy is financial reasons. They can't support this child that they are going to bring into this world. And so I think that says to us that as we look at the, the wicked that are preying on the innocent and the helpless and the poor, we must say no to abortion, but we also have to say yes to some things. We have to say yes to, to rooting out oppression against the poor in our world. We have to say yes to doing good things and, and right things to relieve poverty in the world because it creates a cycle. We have to say yes to helping mothers who choose to, to have these children. And then this child is placed in a situation where they don't have financial means. We can't just say, have the baby, and then forget about them. And those that choose life and then offer up the child for, for adoption, we need to be the first to step in as followers of Christ, as the church, to say, we will help. We will take this child. We must fight evil as it, as it preys on the poor and, and the helpless. We need to do that in, in very practical ways. But coming back to this, this psalm, the, this, um, this all flows from this belief system that rejects God, that rejects the notion that we will be held responsible for our actions. And so as we're praying, we're praying for the innocent, we're praying for the helpless, but we're, we're praying for the wicked. We're praying against greed, but we're also praying that the wicked would believe in God. That's the ultimate thing that we're praying for. We're praying that the knowledge of God would fill the earth as the waters cover the sea. That people would truly believe that there is a God and that God it will judge the world one day. We're going to say, God, let the wicked know that you exist. We're going to pray that he would reveal that to them. That he might even reveal his image and his existence in the world through the very children that people are murdering. The, the greatest picture of God in the world is us. We are a reflection of the image of God. So how God can use what people are destroying to reveal to them that He truly does exist. We need to pray for that. We need to pray for those that deny God and His justice and His all-seeing eye. And we're praying not just for them, but we're, we're praying for so many others that are connected to them. And, and, and I think it's interesting. When we pray for people that deny God, we are praying for them because they will not pray for themselves. They don't believe there's a God. So they're not going to pray for themselves. This is intercession. We are praying on behalf of people. We're coming in and we're praying, God, open their eyes to see that you exist. Open their eyes to see that you see. Open their eyes to see that you will judge. We are praying for those who will not pray. On the other end, when we pray... For the unborn, we are praying for those who cannot pray for themselves. When we pray for the wicked, we pray for those that will not pray for themselves. But when we pray for the unborn, we are praying for those that cannot pray for themselves. And that's what we see in these next verses. We're praying, we're interceding for the helpless. 
This, this prayer for justice is what I would call it. A prayer for justice in 12 through, through 15. The, the wicked, we notice up here, they see the helpless all over the place. They, they notice the helpless. And, the, and when they see the helpless, they see them as victims. This is someone that's an opportunity for me to exploit, an opportunity for me to harm. But we see in verses 12 through 16 that God sees the helpless and desires to help them. In verse 14, this affirmation, but you do see. The question up in the top is, do you stand far off? Are you hiding yourself? But in verse 14, this, this core truth, God, you do see. And we pray, we pray, God, don't forget the afflicted. That, that's verse 12. Lord, don't forget those that are being harmed. Don't forget those that are being hurt. Don't forget these, these children that have no way to pray for themselves. Don't forget them, God. We're praying for justice, that right would be done to them. But justice is, is, has two sides, doesn't it? So when we pray that, that, the, that justice would be done for those that are, for these children that cannot pray for themselves, for unborn babies, we're praying that justice would be done, that they would be saved, that their lives would be spared. But justice also has a judgment element to it, doesn't it? And so when we pray for justice, we're praying things like, God, break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. Call his wickedness to account till you find none. We want God to not forget the helpless, but we want God to not forget the wicked as well. God, don't forget that they have done evil. Well, we're praying for repentance. We're praying that they would come to faith, but we're also praying that God would do what is just, and one day He will do what is just. He sees it all. This, this idea that, that He doesn't see, that He never sees, is so false. <laughs> and one day He will call all wickedness to account. Notice, it's interesting just to notice the beauty of this, this psalm and the way it's written. You notice in verse 12, Arise, O God, lift up your hand, forget not the afflicted. And then just the contrast of verse 15, Break the arm of the wicked and the evildoer. No one can break God's arm. No one can harm His hand. God, use your hand and break the arm of the wicked that think they have strength. It's a great picture. It says here in verse 13, Why does the wicked renounce God and say in his heart, You will not call to account. They are renouncing God. And then in verse 14, to you the helpless commits himself. You have been the helper of the fatherless. That, that contrast there, the wicked renounce God, they reject God, but the helpless come to God and they commit themselves to God. We pray for justice. We pray that justice would be done, that li- the, life, the lives of these children would be spared. And we pray that wic- the wicked would come to justice. They would face justice for the evil they have done. I think the psalm ends with this prayer of trust. This prayer of trust in verses 16 to 18. Let me just read these verses again. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his hand. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed, so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. I love that the verse 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. God is king forever. He will exist forever. The, the wicked will, will pass away. 
but God will exist forever and ever. There will be a day, as verse 18 says, that the, when that, the man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. God's justice will reign forever. God's goodness will reign forever. But those who strike in terror, there will be a day when they are no more. I love the, just the, the heart here that says, in the midst, it started, God, why are you standing far off? But the, the psalmist has come to a place of saying in verse 17, O Lord, you hear. You hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed. It's just this affirmation of trust. And we, and we get to that place eventually, don't we? But we don't see what God is doing, but we come to the place where we say, God, we know that you are there. We know that you hear the cry of the afflicted that you will strengthen their heart, that you will do justice. I think that's verse 17 just again reminds me that God will hear the desire of the afflicted. How does God hear the desire of these children that, that are not even born yet? He hears it through us. He hears it as we pray. As we pray that they would have life, that they would be spared. We need to pray for those that, that cannot pray for themselves. And then there are those that are that are seeking help. There are people who are oppressed, who are helpless, and in these difficult situations. And God hears their prayers, and God knows what's going on. I, I love the parallel in, in Psalm nine that we read, nine chapter nine verses seven to ten. But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He has established his throne for justice, and he judges the world with righteousness. He judges the peoples with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you. For you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. God will not forsake us. God will not forsake us if we seek his justice, if we seek after his his heart. And so again, just verse 1, there is times where we wonder what God is doing, and it's right to pray that way, especially in dark circumstances like this. And the wicked, we see their heart, that they're denying who God is, that He is coming in judgment. They're praying on the wicked. They're in their greed, doing as they desire. But we pray that justice would come, that it would come in life for those who are being murdered, but also that it would come in judgment for those that are enacting this evil. And then we trust God. Remember, prayer is an act of faith. We are trusting who God is. We are trusting that He hears, that He knows what He's doing, that He always does what is right. We hold on to it now. We pray for that justice now. And we trust one day we know it will happen. We know that one day the end of verse 18 will happen, that there will be no one on earth who will strike terror into the afflicted and the fatherless and the oppressed and the helpless. That one day will happen. We know it will happen in the new kingdom. I pray we see glimpses of that now. It's right to pray that, Lord, let your kingdom come even now as it is in heaven. And so I want to pray. I just want to take some time um, as best I can to model how to pray through these things. Um, and so I'm going to, to do that now. I ask you to join with me. I'd even encourage you, if you have your Bible still open, to, to have it there and to look at these phrases and these thoughts and to, to pray with me. So I will pray aloud, but let's all join together in praying in our hearts together. God, we, we ask this question 
When we look at the darkness around us, we say, Lord, why, why do you stand so far off? Why are you hiding yourself, God? What if it's just hard because we look and we think if these are our children, then we would do something. So why aren't you doing something? Yet, Lord, we, we trust. We know that, that you are working even in this, this psalm, Lord. You, you say that the wicked don't see your judgments. They are on high. They are, they are out of sight. And sometimes when they are out of our sight, we can't see what you're doing. But we, we trust. Oh, we trust that even though millions are, are, are killed in the name of convenience and, and personal preference, Lord, that you are just, you are doing what is right. You see this, you, you know it, but we remember your mercy. God, you are a God of mercy, you are a God of kindness, and your, your mercy and your kindness lead us to repentance. We remember that you are patient, Lord, you don't want anyone to perish. You don't want anyone to die in their sin. You want everyone to come to repentance. So while we think of the wicked in the world, we think of those who willfully rebel against you, those who are caught up in evil practices, those who deny that you exist, deny your judgments, deny your all-seeing eye. And God, we, we pray for them. They don't want to pray for themselves, but we pray for them, God. We pray that you would open their eyes to see that you are real, that your judgment is real, that you are coming again, and they will be held accountable for their actions. Lord, we pray your mercy on them. We pray that you would open the eyes of doctors and nurses who are aiding in abortions, Lord, that you would allow them to see your image in the very lives that they destroy, Lord, that they would confess that there is a God, not just that there is a God, but that they would see you in Jesus Christ. And we pray for parents and for friends who have or who even now encourage abortions. Lord, may their eyes be opened to see you in this world to see the beauty of life that you have given, to see that the true help they can offer is to encourage people to believe in you. Well, we pray for the men of our society, men who can just make us angry. But I pray for these men who, who take but never give. Lord, those who want to fulfill their own desires, but they're unwilling to take any responsibility for their actions. Lord, I pray that you would wake them up. I pray for women who have the same attitude. Lord, I pray that our nation would see that, that they have been sold a lie. And the lie is that, that sexual freedom brings joy, but in fact it causes pain. It results in death of human beings created in your image. Though we pray against this. We pray against those who would prey on the poor and the helpless, those who lurk in dark corners of this world and take advantage of young women who are caught in situations where they feel helpless. We pray against those who are greedy for money or pleasure and take from others. Lord, the issue of, of trafficking in our world comes right into this, that we want to give, we want to, we want to take from people, how often we are harming others. We say with the psalmist, Arise, O Lord, arise, God, lift up your mighty hand. Don't forget the helpless. Don't forget the afflicted. Lord, don't forget the voiceless unborn in our world. You, you see, you, you note all this evil. You see even more than we see. And your heart breaks and you know every child whose life has been taken, God. Lord, these children cannot commit themselves to you, so we commit them to you. 
We intercede for them, God. We pray for children this very day. Lord, that are being knit together. And there is a a threat on their lives before they're even born. Lord, they are unwanted. And their presence brings, it just brings fear and anger into the hearts of mothers and fathers. God, we pray. Lord, lift up your mighty hand and break the arm of the wicked. We pray for mothers and fathers who are just as helpless as the children sometimes. Lord, they've been deceived. They've been lied to and they are scared. We pray you would send your children to bring hope, to bring life, to tell them, Lord, that you exist. Not just that you exist, but that you love them. That you made them in your image and you made their child in your image. And you have better things than death planned for them, God. But again, we pray, break the arm of the wicked, call the, cause them to be called to account for their evil deeds. I pray you would call organizations and individuals to account for the part they play in, in seeking the death of children. Lord, we pray that you would restore the, the broken places in people who have had an abortion, who have had the, know this pain, Lord, mothers who regret that decision. We even now face physical consequences for those actions, for fathers who have realized their foolishness and their sinfulness, for doctors and nurses who have trouble forgiving themselves for what they have done. God, we pray you would bring forgiveness and restoration. You do bring life out of death. We see that so clearly in your word. So we pray for life in the midst of death. We pray for life in the midst of a culture of death. But we pray big things. We pray that you would turn the entire tide of our nation that approves of this and that it would become disgusting to us. Lord, if that's going to happen, then then your glory and your name and belief in you is going to have to fill this world. So we pray for that, Lord. We pray for pregnancy resource centers around the world that are offering real help. We pray for, in our own city, a woman's choice resource center. Lord, we thank you for the way that you are using them to help the helpless, and we ask that you would further their work. Lord, we thank you for this new wave in our day of Christians adopting children. Lord, thank you for that. You have adopted us, and we are reflecting your heart when we do it. Lord, help us to 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 have that heart, and Lord, to, that if we can't take children into our own home, that we would support those that are willing and able. Lord, help us not just to say no, but help us to say yes, to offer real help. Help us to know how to alleviate poverty poverty in this world. How to show love to those that are trapped in these bonds. God, we, we just affirm with the end of this passage, Lord, that you are king forever and ever. The nations perish from your land. Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You hear us even now as we intercede. And you will strengthen them. You will incline your ear, Lord. You you listen to us. And you will do justice. We believe that, God. We believe that you will do justice even in this day. And Lord, we long for the day when, when the man who is of the earth can strike terror no more. 
There will be no more death. There will be no more sorrow. There will be no more tears. Lord, you will come and you will reign. And there will be a reign of life and love and peace. There will be no more fatherless. There will be no more oppressed. There will be no more afflicted. There will be no more helpless. Lord, we wait for that day. Help us to be a part of, of previewing that even now. Lord, fill our hearts with prayer. Let us not pray just once a year. Let us think well about this issue in our world. We thank you for hard truths. We don't want to talk about them, but it's good. So that we commit ourselves into your hands and we trust in you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.